Hello, it's Tuesday, November 20th, and this is episode 22 of A Better Father. I've been uh, doing my to-do list, which has been awesome. I'm trying to find a good way to link uh, to that for anybody who listens to this or would be interested in checking out, seeing it, borrowing it, getting ideas from it, whatever. Um, I'm thinking a Google Doc of some sort, but um, I don't know how to do that. So I will get it figured out and get that put up. And I have been uh, doing some digging and looking into vulnerability. Uh, there is somebody I listened to a podcast from the armchair expert called Brene Brown. I believe I've talked about her before. Um, but I have been digging a little deeper and paying a little bit more attention going through her uh, TED Talks, which I will also link to, uh, that have got my mind working and sparked in a different direction. One thing that's come out of this very, very horrible situation I'm in and we are putting our daughter through is just the things that I've thought about on a different level. Um, I often think about how, I don't know if this is right and I don't know if this is fair, but I feel as if there is, in the way I, or maybe it was just the way I was brought up or the people that I talked to or the world I lived in or being in the Midwest or whatever it is, because I know it's not like a universal truth and it's a generality. My apologies, I still have my cough. Um, of, of raising our kids in a certain way. And that's been, I feel, a huge point of contention with my current situation and the disagreements we have around our daughter. It, it feels like there's just this like you're just kind of supposed to have a kid and raise a kid. And they mess up, you yell at them. They don't listen, you yell at them. Or use your mom or dad voice, and something I completely disagree with. But, but it's just this like, you have the kid, and then you just go through the motion of having the kid until they're 18. And I don't know if that's fair to say. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. It just very much feels that way. Like you just kind of do what you do, you live your life, it doesn't really get interrupted by having a kid. It's just now a thing that has happened in your life that is part of life and you just continue to live your life. And the kid doesn't interrupt that per se. Um, and I feel my situation gives backing to part of the disagreements of, like the issue with TV, I don't, I didn't see the point of being a stay-at-home parent, and again, everybody has their different thoughts or views around this, and some person can say why it's good or why it's bad or whatever. It's just the choice and path that I took in the way that my mind worked within this situation. But I didn't see what the point of being a stay-at-home parent was in our situation with my personality, being nearly 40, whatever, that like, what was the point of putting my kid in front of a TV if if I was here to take care of my kid. Like, I see and hear stories of parents using TV to get ready for school or to get out the door quicker because they have to get around or single parents can't spend time. Like, Katie sleeps later than I do and I get up with Charlotte and we do breakfast. She gets ready for work while I'm doing breakfast with Charlotte and getting her around. And then she sleeps and gets ready for work and then gets Charlotte and goes out the door, takes her to school. And that wouldn't be able to happen in that way or that well if we weren't in the situation where that we were in. And 
just as kind of an example of parents who have to find other means because not everybody's in the situation to be able to do that. So anyway, I just I saw taking advantage of this situation and spending the time with my daughter and giving her that attention and that focus and being home with her and putting up with a certain amount of stress, pressure, un attention, whatever from my significant other, then getting to a point where it's like, okay, now that we put all this work and effort into this and we've got her to a certain point, we could start doing the things that a husband and a wife do and going out more and doing these things. All things I just kind of pieced together on the fly, completely out of nowhere or reading this or that or whatever. Not the intent or point of this. Just saying like a difference in that spread. So it's, and I then I think like, within the realms of that is where we bumped into the issues of vulnerability and what we feel is right or wrong and then shame around misactions and then layering that in with the way we act with shame which then got me thinking about a situation I ran into a long time ago before I had a kid and the situation speaks directly to shame and embarrassment um, and how poorly I handled it at this time which stuck with me shortly after the moment and then has obviously carried on since then but my sister had a little baby who didn't always sleep well was kind of rambunctious whatever and they were at my parents house for Christmas and they got there before I did I got there late after work and I walked in the door with a big boisterous like hello blah 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 Merry Christmas blah 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 and my mom, my stepdad, my brother-in-law, and my sister all kind of freaked out and attacked me because, like, not like attacked me, but were just like, quiet, don't talk, ah, don't make so much noise, because she had just gotten her little girl to sleep. And I reacted, and I, oh, geez, come on, whatever, like, just an embarrassed way, instead of just saying, oh, okay, or, oh, I'm sorry, or, you know, the humility thing to do in that situation was just admit that I didn't know something and just say okay but instead I got kind of defensive and shitty and like blew it off fast forward years later where we get my daughter to the wife's parents house when she's asleep it's late at night we walk in the door and then the grandpa it's like oh hi uh, starts talking to us i'm like jesus christ she's a sleeping baby you don't interrupt her you don't wake her up we need to get her upstairs into bed play with her tomorrow i didn't say that i didn't call him out the way my family called me out and i had never had in like the four and a half years of dealing with it but to me it was just this like you don't you don't talk to a sleeping baby like what the frick and Instead of having a conversation or being in a position to have that conversation or putting it on myself to have that conversation, I just carry this around and I have this discomfort and anger towards this person who's like, don't you understand you don't do that? And it wasn't that long before where I had done the exact same thing and it was, but my family called me out and I got to process it in a different way of being humiliated and feel stupid and get a little defensive and dickish about it. But it speaks to the humility and the vulnerability and the willingness to just kind of to take a deep breath and say, okay, I walked in this situation, I wasn't aware, 
everybody, nobody was being mean or rude or crappy towards me. They just were reacting to like, oh my gosh, we just spent two hours getting this baby to bed. Don't mess this up for all of us. Like, oh my gosh, she's sleeping. Duh. And I just had no, no grounding or no area of which to process or comprehend that. And I just felt embarrassed and then I act, lashed out in my shame which is amazing how we carry this stuff around or we react in situations without fully thinking about how we're reacting or why we're reacting to a situation and before I say the next thing I would like to just comment on the last couple of weeks using my to-do list I've been running more getting the exercise in that I've been wanting to get in um, doing the things that I wanted to do that I thought were beneficial and healthy for me and my mind has freed up or wandered or thought in different ways and been able to to go on different journeys that have been very beneficial that I'm very appreciative of and I just I didn't I didn't realize how much was getting clogged up and therapy has been helping a lot and getting to talk with another human being when I spend most of my days not talking to other human beings but it's really helped too but I just want to put the importance on that which leads into the next thought uh, which has to do with an article I read or recently heard, I've taken a lot of information, but it was around how people are walking around with allergies and things to food that they don't realize that affect our lives every day in small ways. And it's, you know, kind of become like the hipster thing or whatever to be like, I don't eat gluten. And there are people who have found they seriously have celiac disease or reactions that <laughs> may or may not be medical but the point of it isn't that it's the the point of it is well actually that is kind of the point but it's the reactions to dairy that there is some crazy number and I'm just throwing this out here because I don't remember the exact figure something I should look up or whatever but I just wanted to get this out of my head because it was bouncing around on my run is that something like 60% 70% of people have some sort of allergic type reaction to dairy they don't know it, they don't think about it, they don't process it, they just get used to things being a certain way. We just get complacent in thinking this is how we are. And there's other people who react to different spices and different meats and different whatever that they, their kids, they're now finding like corn syrup is having a seriously harmful effect on concentration and disorder and this is you know getting proven out more and more because you know we've just been doing a giant science experiment on humanity for the last you know 40 years without thinking about the consequences and now they're starting to like be like oh these these things are not natural these things are having an effect on our bodies our brains our attitudes the way we react to things hyperactivity and it's kind of become cliche to talk about how people are you know we're over medicated and stuff right now but there's, they're finding links to that. There's been a 3% increase and a 2.5% increase in cancers between 28 and 35-year-olds. Um, again, just something else I've been listening to on one of my podcasts. Oh, stuff I should make sure to be taking notes on if I'm going to continue to increase this podcast. But, um, but they doctors just couldn't figure it out. It was just like in this age group, there is just this huge increase in cancers and their prostate cancers and rectal cancers in men and women obviously the rectal versus the prostate there so please don't think I'm that dumb 
but um, they they couldn't figure it out, and then they narrowed it down to kids, people, well, not kids anymore, but people born around 1990 and up are the ones that are being affected by this, and that's when they saw the increase in things that they were putting in foods and additives and corn syrups and sugars and all these things, and the, it's literally been linked to the diet now. They spent the last few years just kind of like, we don't know why this increase is happening, but it's happening, and they couldn't pinpoint it and now they can't stop it really because all these people have been affected by the diets they've had born around 1990 and after and now we know and in, there was a stand-up comedy comedian once who I heard who made a joke about it was kind of a joke it was more of an observational humor comedian but he was talking about peanut allergies and how like it's kind of become like cliche to make fun of it or have a kid with peanut allergies and he's like yeah but the point is like you hear parents say like well we didn't worry about peanut allergies when I was in school and back in the 80s there was no kids with peanut allergies he's like no there were it's just before we figured out it was peanut allergies we just said the kid died from unknown causes <laughs> like we just didn't know so we just like, ah, kid died sorry and now we know these things and it was you know in a comedic way and stuff but it, it, truth to that and then we run into this thing where there's this huge increase in cancers and then all of a sudden they're like oh wait no we found the link so it's not causes unknown. It's not we don't know why can't this cancer has increased. It's oh here it is. Um, so so we, we're walking around feeling certain ways, acting certain ways, being in certain ways, and we don't we don't always know what could be causing that. We don't always think about there being a cause for that. I have ADD, ADHD, however you want to say it that I, my mom has known about since I was diagnosed at a very early age and chose not to put me on medication. And I, at, for a certain period of my life, I was kind of upset about that because I was like, could my life have been different or better had you put me on the medication? And, and she didn't tell me about it till I was 21, 22, which again, I wish I had known. And when I was talking to my therapist about this last week, she's like, that may feel that way to like you may feel upset by not knowing that or wishing your mom had gotten your medication or whatever she's like but they've also done the testing on it to show that once the teachers know this about you they start treating you differently and they start downgrading you and if you turn in the same work as a kid who doesn't have ADD they downgrade your grade because they assume somehow it's worse because you have this thing and you're automatically put in a bucket, which would go down a rabbit hole of all like when kids get labeled in kindergarten or some way it carries their whole lives, blah, 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 comes your permanent record. Kind of cliche stuff that happens to be true. But she's saying like how that's been proven and then the medications that they were giving kids back then have been refined and you know, you could argue are better now today or whatever, but Ritalin and stuff like that, they're finding it's not so great in some cases or it might not react with your body well but they just keep giving it to you because that's what they think to do instead of taking an individual kid and being like this kid reacts well to Ritalin this kid doesn't it's just like well that's the Ritalin's the cure for this or the the thing we use to regulate it so just keep giving them Ritalin regardless of any other side effects that might not work for this individual and so I've spent a lot of years kind of being upset at my mom for that but ultimately she probably did the right thing or maybe she did the right thing. Who knows? But I, 
I wish she had told me sooner because I had found ways to curb that since then and I'd been able to deal with it since I was like, oh, this is a thing about me instead of just kind of like an offhanded joke. It's like, oh, these are the true things about me. Um, so there, I think there is a point of conversation and talk, which could be a different conversation topic. And the point of all of that was, and again, these are my run thoughts, like just blarging out, is I... I've been listening to Sam Harris's podcast. There's been a lot of good stuff in there, but and he talks to like educated, smart people writing books and teaching and PhDs and all of these very intelligent people around things. And they were talking about anxiety and how that holds people back and how people have trouble with it. And I just started to think like, and it, it's going to sound hypochondriac, but I was just like, is there a certain amount of anxiety that holds me back? Like, what is it that keeps me from starting my own food truck? What is it that keeps me from starting a comic book store? What is it that that doesn't, that that piece of me that's missing that allows somebody else to have that entre entrepreneurial spirit, that allows them to, to turn that dial just enough to get them to, to be willing to put up with the humiliation of a loss or... And, and, even when I say humiliation, I feel like that's incredibly wrong because that's how I view it, which is probably why I don't do it. Because if I tried something and failed, I'd feel humiliated. And like I messed up and like, oh, I'm a loser because I couldn't make this work or whatever. Uh, which, you know, is a whole other, that's why I'm in therapy thing. But I just found that odd that I, are telling that I just said it that way. But there are people, like you hear these stories, and I was just listening to a story of, um, somebody who had crossed the border from Mexico that had started her own hair salon. And I'm just like, so somebody who doesn't really speak English, at least at the time did not, can walk a thousand miles, cross a border, come into America, at the time illegally, she's now here legal, <coughs> legally, and start her own hair salon, make a business for herself, become a citizen, and I have all the advantages I have and I can't just start a business. I can't do these things that are in my head to try to do and somebody else can who's in a much, I don't know if worse is the right word, but the deck stacked against her more is still able to overcome those obstacles to get to a point where I'm sitting here being like, eh, I'm a little scared of trying something new or doing something outside of what just sits in front of me. And I do wonder if there isn't a certain amount of anxiety or something that is holding me back or down talking me in there that I just haven't been aware of. And if being aware and then addressing that and then knowing how to overcome that would allow me to overcome those hurdles. Just like when I gave up sugar for the most part, not fully, but when I gave up sugar, like, I stopped getting headaches. I had more energy. I was able to play with my daughter more, take care of her better. And I know that now when I have sugar in something or I choose to, like, treat myself to something, I'm going to be more tired. I'm going to feel a little drunk. I'm not going to be fully with it. And that's those are choices I make, but I become aware of those effects and how, how food affects my body and the things that I eat. And I still wonder, like, if I'm still eating too much of this or that or whatever, how that might be affecting me now that I'm aware of the other things. But it's just all of these things we've become complacent with 
and we don't think about what it would be like or what life could be like or what we could feel like or how we could react or what we could do if if we tried something different if we moved out of our comfort zone even if that comfort zone isn't actually comfortable in the scheme of things it's just become normalized for us or we expect to feel this way or act this way it's like Jim Gaffigan has a really funny stand-up bit about how people in America eat and he kind of goes over the holidays in America and how like oh I wouldn't normally have three brats two pieces of pie a bag of chips and four beers and blah 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 but it is the 4th of July so and on and on and on with Thanksgiving, Christmas, and every other holiday in America where we're like, oh, this is the excuse to be gluttonous and eat all this stuff, and I wouldn't normally do this, but but we know the repercussions of Thanksgiving, which is coming up, obviously, where when we eat turkey, we know turkey makes you tired. There is tryptophan, I believe, something like that. That's in turkey. That makes you tired, and you're going to eat a lot of food, and you're going to put all this stuff in your body and you're not going to feel like we literally go in knowing we're not going to feel good we're going to be tired we're going to be out of it it's going to negatively affect us and we just do it because it's thanksgiving and so that gives us a license to to gorge ourselves and make an excuse for doing it but we're kind of doing that every day we just might not be as aware of what the things we're eating or doing are affecting us and this was not <laughs> where I planned on this podcast going. This is just, I guess, a repercussion of my runs and all the things in my head. And I am working on something a little more concrete and focused about um, humility, shame, feeling vulnerable um, from the Benet Brown um, TED Talks. And she's got a couple of books out there stuff she's tripped on. I don't know if I'll link those in this one because I do want it to kind of be more impactful when I actually talk about that. But um, yeah, so sorry if this one was a little off the rails or down the rabbit hole or something, but just the food for thought that's been in my head and I'm using this podcast to get things out. And um, they, to tie it all up before I sign off here, these, these are the things that I think about and affect my parenting. These are the things that I worry about with my daughter these are the things that I try to process with my daughter of the food she eats and how it affects her how I mean I could go down a whole thing of like watching my daughter react when her mother and I are together who are just we're not horrible people and individually I don't think we're horrible parents or anything but together we're shitty parents like we are being shitty parents because of the way we interact and respond to each other in front of our daughter and the longer we've been in this venomous situation, which is just two people just attacking each other silently, verbally, non-verbally, whatever, are all things our daughter picks up on. And I watch how my daughter is reacting to those things. And I watch how her mood changes. I watch how she gets more aggressive when we're around together. I watch how everything is perfectly fine when she and I are playing downstairs. But the minute you put her mom into it, it goes awry and vice versa that's not an attack on her mom because when her and her mom are doing fine she'll slam the door and be like we're playing right now and not want me around and i don't blame her i just walk away because i understand like yeah i wouldn't want to be in a room with us either we're two shitty people um and i 
that's affected us being able to do playdates and stuff. I see the way people watch us. I see the way they see we don't communicate, talk, interact, stand next to each other, or do anything, and that's affecting Charlotte's life uh, in a lot of different ways. But one of the uh, moms that was a had a daughter in preschool with Charlotte that's now in kindergarten with our daughter. Um, she, she keeps talking about a play date with us because that's just what she's doing, but she hasn't set it up so we can do that because I wouldn't want to be around us either. I wouldn't want my kids to be around this shitty situation. If we didn't have a kid and this is how we acted, I wouldn't bring our kid around us. So, so the things that I'm thinking about are the things I can positively affect, the things that I can introduce to her to help regulate her reacting not just like poorly to bad food, but how she reacts, how those things are interacting with her having to, again, I'm not saying anything about her mother and I individually, but together we're shitty parents and that sucks. So lots of layers of things, lots of things to process and take in and lots of things to think about and consider of how what we're doing, how we're interacting, how we're behaving is affecting our child. Um, and so I've got a lot of topics, a lot of things on my mind. I'm going to let this one go for now so it doesn't get too crazy long as it's already extended way out. Um, but thank you for listening. I will have another one next week that I will probably record shortly because I've got a lot of things kicking around in my head. Thank you very much and bye.